it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Thanks to everyone in Alabama and Tennessee for coming out and getting uh, and having me sign. Teddy and Booker T, our two American icons, plays the path to racial equality. Had a great time, especially at the Patriot Awards and uh, and everyone over in Nashville, which really covers Tennessee too. But uh, that was a whole island onto itself. Uh, we're going to have John Cooper on today. He is a lead vocalist, bassist, and songwriter, producer for Skillet, and author of a new book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. And man, do we need saving. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Xi Jinping doesn't care about the economy. He only, he only cares about the capacity to build out his hegemonic power. And so the, the likelihood that he becomes a friend of the United States of America is literally zero. Yeah, that is the former Secretary of State. Chinese President Xi and President Biden both were ready to put on a happy face in a newly uh, power-washed San Francisco. But what really was accomplished, what should our policy be from here on in against our greatest, most powerful rival in our history? Number two. Trump's the most likely one of us to lose. But the problem with that argument is, is that you have all this national polling coming out showing Trump beating Joe Biden, maybe not as much as, say, Nikki Haley or others, but he's still winning. I mean, even NBC this morning has him ahead. Uh, That is Scott Scott Jennings. 2024 unhappiness with the prospect of Biden's reelection campaign builds in all Democratic uh, circles, as polls show. Dems have reason to feel sad as Trump picks up major endorsements. Uh, We look at new polls, too, and a surging Nikki Haley and a determined DeSantis. Number one. We are hopeful that we can get uh, a significant number of uh, hostages freed in the coming days. The less uh, we go into the details, the better the chances of such a deal. Yep, that is Michael Herzog, the president of Israel. Israel at war as we wait for a hostage release, hopefully within our show. Israel releases video and shows the media how the Al Shafa hospital doubles as Hamas headquarters. There is video of hostages being brought there against their will, obviously. One was wounded, one was standing and looked fine. Then we see a tunnel with steps underneath the tunnel. You go down this hallway with a robot, with a drone robot, and you see a steel door. All fortified in the hospital, but many in the media, and I'm watching the coverage, say, we still don't know. You still don't know. We show you from the, they're, uh, uh, they're in camera, they're, they're, in, they're in hospital video camera, this footage, because they were able to take over the hospital. They also brought in incubators for the neonatal unit. How, do you think Hamas would do that if they took over a hospital? No, they would kill the babies in the cradle. And they've done it, and they probably did it, sadly, because that's who we're dealing with. Why are we dealing with Hamas and putting them on the same level as Israel? A sovereign state who is a democracy, people are like, well, Hamas has got a point. Hamas has no point. Hamas has no interest in a Palestinian state or the Palestinian people. They threaten the Palestinians to represent them. 
The Palestinian Authority is so corrupt. The only thing that's good about them is their own bank accounts. They feather them with the money given from uh, worldwide aid that pours in. Do you know Mahmoud Abbas worth $35 million? This guy who's never had a job in his entire life, 82 years old, his personification of weakness and corruption. So, yeah, it's okay. Let's turn on Israel. Israel's the problem. I don't know if they could have done a better job avoiding civilian casualties. I'm not really sure. But Hamas is thoroughly to blame. What do you what else do you need to understand? They live within the people. They hide behind hospitals, mosques, underneath mosques and tunnels. They hit innocent people, killed 790 civilians, children, senior citizens, Holocaust survivors. But I don't know. What side are you on? Let me debate it. Here's the prime minister with Mark Clavin last night. Cut one. Imagine what would happen if Iran had nuclear weapons and all its minions, all its proxies would know that they have a nuclear umbrella. It would be a different world, and the entire world would be endangered. And, of course, if Iran had nuclear weapons, they'd be able to use not only terrorist proxies, they'd be able to wield on you the threat of the greatest terror of them all, nuclear terrorism. Right, and there that makes me think that Israel's got to hit them and take them out. They've already been assassinating scientists, uh, stealing all this intelligence that revealed... Uh, that they were not they were not doing a nuclear energy program. They were actually doing a nuclear program. So the U.S. military officials said that the Israelis um, are trying to sit them down behind closed doors and expect to make more weeks of clearing operations in the north. But they also said you guys got to calm down and, uh, and start toning it down um, and start uh, entertaining a two-state solution. But why would you entertain a two-state solution if you're Israel? So they say they're going to start moving from the north to the south to root out Hamas. They've killed a bunch of commanders. They've lost 55 of their own guys, and they're now bringing video cameras in to show what exactly Hamas was up to. The New York Times is saying these two videos look like this, and if you haven't seen it, you can probably see them on our website or the New York Times website. They show a metal spiral staircase, staircase, uh, staircase, a longer video which appears to have been recorded by a robot or a camera carried by an uh, carried by. Um, carried down there, starts out above ground and shows the descent of a cloister-like tunnel with utility cables along the wall, which lead to what Israeli officials describe as a blast-proof door. What they worry about is going through this door, and you could see it on the video, and they think it's going to be booby-trapped, and maybe it blows up the robot or a human being or hostages on the other side. They want to be sure about it. But it's amazing. I'm watching CBS this morning, and they say claim to be a tunnel, claim to be Hamas headquarters. They were, the AK-47 is located in an MRI machine, claimed to have been put there by Hamas. New York Times did verify both videos recorded at Al Shifa Hospital, which the Israeli forces stormed last week. Meanwhile, on the hostages, during the Doha talks, Hamas has indicated that it does not have control of all of the 239 hostages. I heard that immediately. Islamic Jihad grabbed some. Some other crazy groups grabbed some. This is Biden's deputy national security advisor says hostage deal is closer than it's ever before. Here's John Finer, cut three. Hamas has used uh, al-Shifa in an unconscionable way as a command and control facility uh, for the planning of terrorist attacks and the execution of terrorist attacks and continues uh, to do so. That does not, uh, in our view, uh, mean that Israel uh, should conduct airstrikes on the hospital or uh, ground assaults on the hospital. We've been equally clear about that. Uh, But Hamas has put these people in severe jeopardy by the way in which it's conducting uh, this war. Right. And they believe they could get as many as 70 out with a five-day pause. And the question is, would it be a, uh, a prisoner exchange as well? 
Look out of it. Look at this sub story about these Houthi rebels, these Yemen Houthi rebels. We watched as they took over Yemen. We used to have an ally there who was a dictator, not very effective, but he was an ally there. And that's where uh, the ancestral home of bin Laden was, that he was once there for a while, once there for a while and we thought there was an al-Qaeda presence. Well, we let the Houthi rebels take over, and then they start shelling Saudi Arabia. And then we condemned Saudi Arabia because we didn't like the way they were conducting their airstrikes against the Houthi rebels who are lobbing rockets into their country. And then in comes Barack Obama, who said the pariah nation is Saudi Arabia. And the Houthi rebels are no longer on the terror watch list. And now they are... Hijacking Israeli-linked ships, or any ships they want. They say this, just days after the Houthis issued a graphic, which captions Hebrew, Arabic, and English that said, we will sink your ships, there was a hijacking of a cargo ship by the Houthis right near Yemen, southern Red Sea. Uh, The ship departed Turkey on its way to India, staffed by civilians, various nationalities, not including Israelis. They were not on the trip. But get this. The Galaxy Leader, which was taken, is owned by a British company, operated by a Japanese firm, through the public shipping database, shows the ship's owners associated with Raycar carriers founded by Israeli billionaire Abraham Rama Unger. That according to the AP. How they figured out that some billionaire owned this through all those layers is beyond me. But it did. And they are. So Chris Christie, I got to give him credit. Credit, he goes over to Ukraine, meets with Zelensky, makes his own decisions. Finds out about corruption, lets him know, gets his own answers, digests it the way he wants. Obviously, for me, I thought for you, we have to support the Ukrainians. It's in our best interest to support the Ukrainians. I don't care if they're a perfect democracy or not. I know Russia is the invading force that's already causing havoc in the Balkans. It's already causing havoc in Georgia, already causing havoc in the Baltics. And if you let them take portions of Ukraine... You'll get them to restabilize, learn from this offensive, and then be more formidable in the future. Here is uh, Governor Chris Christie talking about Hamas after his visit to Israel. Cut six. I was there and spoke to the leaders in Israel, spoke to the president of Israel, um, spoke to members of the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, I was 600 yards um, from the Gaza border. Uh, I went everywhere in Israel um, to see what's going on, and they are doing everything they can to avoid uh, civilian casualties. The problem is that Hamas is forcing these uh, civilians to stay in places where Israel is warning them out of, dropping thousands of leaflets, sending hundreds of thousands of text messages to warn people away from areas before they're attacked. It is Hamas that's doing this. Right. Uh, And that's what you got to keep saying, but I just find it pretty amazing around the world. They just keep pointing out, well, look, Gaza's getting bombed and people and civilians are being killed. Yeah, in some cases. And so are Hamas agents being killed. And they're trying the best they can, I believe, to do the best they can to avoid that. Now, here's the friction. President Biden is pushing Netanyahu behind the scenes on issues ranging from limiting civilian casualties, which is fine, to agreeing to a pause in fighting to free hostages. They go on to say, while there had been no agreement on some areas, such as when Israeli commanders accepted American advice not to rush in Gaza immediately, U.S. officials are still concerned about Israel's ultimate plans for Gaza, including any sort of uh, extended occupation, and are alarmed by the number of Palestinian casualties. Look, Israel does not want Gaza, but you cannot just give it a Mahmoud Abbas. It'll be a waste of time. Within two years, he'll be overwhelmed by Hamas. They'll take it back. 
They'll make the Palestinian Authority use that money uh, to sustain the government, and they'll start attacking again. Would you do that if Mexico was dangerous or Canada? Don't think we would. one 866 When we come back, I'll take your calls and read some of your emails, and then welcome in John Cooper. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We now go live to President Joe Biden's press conference after his long-awaited meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Happy Thanksgiving. It's me, your old boy Joe. Now let's get started. Uh, To keep things on the rails, I'm going to read from the teleprompter. I had a great meeting with uh, President Roman numeral 11. <laughs> Excuse me, President Xi. Uh, this meeting was a total win. Sure, we made agreements about communications, fentanyl, climate change, but most importantly, we got the thing America really needs right now. More pandas. Right. Uh, they did get a promise of pandas. I think it was significant that they kind of mocked in a fun way, I don't have any problem with people mocking presidents. It's only just done with humor and not anger like Alec Baldwin was portrayed or the script revealed. And Alec Baldwin just did it. You always put a, a level of, of fun in it while ripping people on their weakness. For example, George H.W. Bush, not the smoothest talker in the world. Dana uh, Carvey did him for the longest time. And some people would have been insulted. George Bush loved it. He invited him to the White House. They became friends. You think Dana Carvey is a Republican? I doubt it. Who knows, though? Um, and, you know, famously Chevy Chase and Gerald Ford showed, showed Gerald Ford this great athlete as clumsy because he fell a couple of times. And it was Chevy Chase that ended up being friends with Ford and had to perform, I think, at his library dedication. And that was significant. There's also a sense that people want to push George, uh, Joe Biden overboard. And this is how you do it. You do it through comedy and so-called Democratic experts saying that Joe can't win. Third straight major poll that are hideous for Joe Biden. Uh, Approval for Democrats, 77 percent, which is extremely low. Seven percent approval with Republicans. This is according to the new NBC poll. He's got 30 percent approval rating with independents. How hideous is that? Feelings about the candidate. Now, this is where he was always better than Trump. 38-32 in January. Right now it's tied at 36. A generic Republican against Biden. Biden loses 48-37. A generic Democrat against Trump. It's only Trump only loses by six. Here's the killer. 18 to 34-year-olds traditionally been going with Democrats over the last 20 years. And certainly the, the, they beat 
uh, Biden beat Trump on uh, this by 12 points in 2020. Now it's Trump by four. What a turnaround. Handling of the war, 18 to 34-year-olds, only 20% approve. Now, look, that's scary for an American. Forget about Democrat or Republican. That means the next generation has no interest in being allied with Israel. President's personal approval rating, 40%. Uh, That is significantly lower than it was, but higher than most other polls. Biden's job approval by party, as as I mentioned that one again. Independence, I told you about. Hypothetical head-to-head with Trump, 46-44. Trump wins. In every poll, It's of course it's within the margin of error. Of course we're going to watch the trials, and that could change things. Of course that Donald Trump could say something that's even more controversial than usual. But for the most part, there's panic. Here's Steve Kornacki, which I thought was kind of interesting. He did some breakdowns on NBC, and he talked about the rise of Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley is on the rise, but there's something stopping her from actually catching Trump. Cut 13. You look at voters who call themselves conservative, very conservative. They're very pro-Trump. They seem a little reluctant, a little resistant to her. She's got a breakthrough, not just with moderates and independents. She's got a breakthrough with core Republican voters who like Donald Trump. If she wants to make this a real game with Trump. Wow. And that's what she's got to do. And I think she started to do that with met with Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. She was at Wall Street. There's a big story uh, in Wall Street Journal, I think, today that talks about how she's been winning over Wall Street. They're getting used to her and type of policies that you would have. Some are wary of Trump. Some want the good old Trump days back. But you have to be impressed with Governor Haley. You've known you've heard me talk about this before. I've always been a fan, uh, always. And it doesn't matter if I agree with her every time. She's competent on a lot of issues, has that parent feel. As, as well as uh, knowing the spouses in the military, governor, uh, international, uh, international experience as U.N. ambassador, I think, anyway. But here's the other thing that is key for Trump. Scott Jennings, former McConnell advisor, Mitch McConnell, says that what is now being kicked to the curb is the issue that Trump can't beat Biden. Cut 14. Obviously, he's making a strategic argument, which is Trump's the most likely one of us to lose But the problem with that argument is, is that you have all this national polling coming out showing Trump beating Joe Biden, maybe not as much as, say, Nikki Haley or others, but but he's still winning. I mean, even NBC this morning, he's has him ahead. And so that strategic argument to me, whether you're DeSantis or Haley or anyone else, I think the steam has come out of that. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely diminished. I mean, there's a lot of things out there. Uh, DeSantis is saying that Trump is mixing things up. He's getting older, not the same guy. He's on the prompter too much. I think that shows a little bit more discipline. But I do think that cuts to the core. Trump has a huge advantage over Biden, over Biden's age. And he looks beyond just 81. He's 81 today. And what DeSantis is trying to say, Trump is just as bad. Which, if Trump does win, which it looks like he will, that's going to resonate. That'll leave a mark, I think. Uh, But right now, Ron DeSantis is all in on Iowa. He's doing terrible in New Hampshire. Will not do that well in South Carolina. But if he can win Iowa, that will leave him healthy enough for Super Tuesday. John Cooper next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. We're moving ahead. Uh, And people have been noticing probably the biggest surprise in recent times that I can remember is 
all of a sudden you have people not only coming out, not supporting Israel, but going against Israel, not only supporting Palestine, which doesn't exist, who have no idea about the history of the peace accords that didn't happen in Oslo, the offers that were given in the past, the history of the Balfour Declaration, let alone the Israelis coming in in the 1940s. They have no idea. They just want, they, they said the Palestinian needs rights. Do you know that they had the whole Gaza Strip? Probably not. Doesn't matter. Do you know that they were offered the Gaza Strip and West Bank with a bridge to both of them? Doesn't matter. And then, by the way, not only are you not, uh, you're anti-Israel, you're also, anti, you're also anti-Semitic. And you're now pro-Hamas in some sectors, which is not a surprise to John Cooper. He's the lead vocalist and bassist, songwriter, producer for Skillet, and author of a brand new book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. John, welcome back. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on, Brian. Right, we had the preview. Now it's, uh, it's out. It's out for everyone to go uh, purchase tomorrow, right? Yeah, it's actually, no, it's actually out now. You can get it only at my website, johnlcooper.com. So you are not that surprised by the anti-Semitism that's welling up and horrifying? Not only here in America, but in the U.K. and other places? The reason I'm not surprised is because in studying with this book, to understand wokeness, I, I understand it pretty good. It is a totalizing worldview, and everything is about the oppressors and the oppressed. Every single thing. They call it a grand narrative. So where religion has a grand narrative, say that God created the world, and so we have to understand who God is and what my place in this world is. So right. it's, it's a way of seeing everything as a grand narrative. Their grand narrative is power, the oppressed, the oppressors. And so you just – It doesn't matter. Do, you just replace it with Hamas or the George Floyd riots. Anybody. Anybody, and that is how they define morality because it's a grand narrative. So if you want want to know why, they go, well, why? yeah, but they certainly have to think it's wrong to rape women and this and the other. They go, well, no, because the only thing that's moral is the revolution. Anything that aids in the revolution is moral. Anything that impedes their revolution is immoral. You can plug it in in any single facet. But are they all for freedom and rights? And if you're for freedom and rights, how could you possibly go for Hamas? How could you possibly look at the Palestinian Authority, which all they do is take all this aid money and put it into their own coffers? So how could that be attractive to the Western culture? It's psycho. Like we were talking before the thing, you have queers for Palestine in America. There's no way that queers for Palestine could go and live in Gaza and, and, and be themselves. You can't do that. Um, they'd so be thrown off buildings. They'd be thrown off buildings. They would not allow it. So it's not actually about freedom. It is about a revolution against Western society because the ultimate oppressors is America, Christianity, the Western world. And it's got to go by any means necessary. And this is infiltrating. This is the thing I care the most about. I mean, I love America. I want to see America flourish. But it's infiltrating the Christian church in America and, and a lot of in Jewish churches. Oh, the Christian churches, they've not understood the worldview. And so they're tr by trying to reach people, they've said things like this. Well, Jesus came to give good news to the poor. And so they think that the poor and the oppressed, when Jesus talks about it, is the same thing as when the Marxist talks about the poor and the oppressed. They are not the same thing at all. Jesus came to help the actual poor, the people who could wow. not feed themselves because they, they had disabilities yeah. and things like that. That is not what's going on now. So churches have said, okay, well, then we're going to help the poor and the oppressed. And they've begun taking that victim narrative, and we have to push back against this in America. Karl Marx, was he religious? 
<laughs> Karl Marx was a raging atheist. Um, but it wasn't just that he was an, an atheist. He hated God with such a passion that he believed that the Christian God is the reason that people were suffering. And so he believed that we had to have the death of God, which was more like more like um, in our imaginations, we created God so that we could deal with our suffering in his mind. And that's why he said religion is the opiate of the masses. It's, it's an idea that gets us through life and gives us a bomb, mm. a bomb for, for our bad days. And now we have to kill God, kill Christ, and every single one of our institutions, including marriage. We have to get rid of marriage because marriage is a Christian mm. oppressive institution. Kill, so that we can realize that man is actually our own creator. That's his words. Man is self-created by ourselves. And so Karl Marx was very – he had an atheistic religion that is very mystical, and we see that in wokeness. Well, and, that, and that's what you tried to discover. When did you realize there was a book here? It wasn't like some – you weren't looking around and say, well, there's too much woke going on. You went back and looked for the history of it and see if there was a structure to this. Yes. Yeah, the reason is because I'm like all other normal people. I'm just going, what in the world is going on? Right. Well, why, why are kids coming up with gender unicorns? Why does every, – everything is opposites. Have you noticed that? So, for instance, um, women are oppressed in America, but there's no such thing as a woman. It's like no, all of these things are opposites. They don't go – queers for Palestine. They're fighting for that, but they would never be able to live there. Yeah. Why are these things happening? And I said, I got to get to the bottom of this. And what I found out was that it is a, a very much like a utopian religion. It goes all the way back to Hegel, Marx, the critical theorist. And as I sort of realized, it was like this is why the woke seem like religious fanatics. Like you, you, no amount right. of statistics can convince them. But what is the attraction? I mean, if you look at for women, for example, who are enjoying freedom, activism, we don't even think of it anymore because equality, there's more women in college, mm-hmm. women in the workplace, not even a debate. So why would a woman go, you know what, that these Palestinians really have a point. Okay, I feel bad for them. All right, you saw some babies, sadly, that were killed, collateral damage. Hamas is solely responsible. But then you look at the lives of women in that culture. Mm. They can't drive. They can't have a job. Their goal, I think they have three goals, one to serve visitors, strangers, and their family. Serve. You wear in those orthodox places, you gotta wear a burqa over your face in hundred and ten degree weather. Who looks at that and says, That's the culture I want? In the West. It's gotta be the antithesis of what we mm. want. You know what I was what I was thinking is this the most powerful <laughs> force in the society is actually in a free society, it's not law, it's taboo, right? So it's what we taboo that is the most important thing. And if you're always going to have a religion or a religious-esque, um, a religion-esque, I guess you'd say, that taboos certain things. And our country has gotten rid of anything that is Christian, anything that is American. American principles are now bad. There are new taboos, and the new taboo is this. In order to be seen as a good person, you have to fight for the victim. And it doesn't matter that nothing – that it's not rational, that there's no logic to it. As long as you're fighting for the victim, then you will be loved by the culture. Right. You will get the contracts. The celebrities will like you. Hollywood will like you. Big media, big tech. You will be seen as one of the good people. That's so, why they do it. So uh, John Cooper's here, uh, the lead vocalist, bassist, and songwriter uh, for Skillet. His new book is out called Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. So – when you look at, for example, the George Floyd riots going to fight because black people it's are underappreciated in America, and then you have also the Green Movement, 
Isn't that also part of this? That's almost like a religion in itself. Mm. Yeah, you said the green movement, yeah. right? Environmentalism. Yeah. yeah. It absolutely and and again, if I can keep going back to this well. And Joe Biden isn't left enough for them. They protest Biden's yes. speech. How crazy is that? That's absolutely right. Because everything is still in the oppressor oppressed thing. Everybody. So you can you can kind of keep going down. So the woman who is pregnant but doesn't want the baby, she's oppressed by the baby. And so if you keep going all the way down, what you'll find is that um, human beings oppress the earth. And so you have to fight for the earth because human beings are the ultimate oppressor against the earth. So the environmentalism thing also fits into the woke religion. It does. And then when you uh, have a chance to do something a little bit more complicated, then it's really interesting the way that they jump to the Palestinian side. I mean, we had people in our lobby on Friday. They stormed into Fox's uh, lobby. They wow. went through the doors, could not get him out. Then the cops had to come and have this, this arrest. Who are these people? They're you, the next generation. Do you know only 20% of the 18 to 34s support Israel in the war against in Gaza right now? Yeah. How crazy is that? It is This crazy. is after October 7th. Yeah, I mean, because they are so given to that worldview. And frankly, I think that us, Generation X, our, uh, the, you know, people who are parents like myself, I have two kids. We've not done a good job of instilling American values into our kids. It, we don't talk about them like we used to. And so it's in vogue to not like the country. And again, if you don't mind if I kind of go off on pastors a little bit, I love my, my, I love my Christian brothers and sisters, but – Churches are not doing a good job of this either. They have moved into the, hey, if I say anything good about America, it's going to make me seem idolatrous or or almost like it's you're being more like Jesus if you don't appreciate the country you come from. That is uh, that is something that our founding fathers would would have not understood. And the uh, the the pastors and the people that came over here to this country. The pilgrims, they would, they would, I honestly believe they would smack these people and say, what are you talking about? This is a great country built on these principles right. of, of Judaism and Christianity. And it's a real shame that pastors are basically staying out of this fight. And I don't think they understand the devastation that we're so close to. Well, a lot of people are saying to the Jewish community, we've been trying to fight this now that it's anti, now the anti-Semitism has cropped up. Now you understand what we were yes. up, what we were trying to say. Uh, absolutely, you know, people. I have got several Jewish friends that many are, Democrats, right? Absolutely, and Jewish friends that are saying, "I'm pulling my money from these schools." I had no idea to. there was so much anti-Semitism, and I said to one of them, "I said, here's the thing: yes, it's, they're anti-Semitic, but that's not actually the main problem. The main problem is is that they are anti-American, they are Marxist." They are progressive. They are teaching your kids these things. Anti-Semitism is a logical conclusion of their oppressor-oppressive narrative. That's So just not being anti-Semitic doesn't fix the problem. Just like getting rid of TikTok, which I'm all up for doing, by the way, that doesn't actually fix the problem of all these people praising um, Osama bin Laden. The problem is is that it's in our schools. It's in K through 12. It's in academia. It's everywhere you go. It's just in vogue to not like this country. Right, and uh, that's got to change. And that's one thing I do. And uh, I have Teddy and Booker T out of two American icons, Blaze the Path to Racial Equality. And I've said it's an insult to people like that who were in the segregated South, who were told if you go to vote, you'll be killed or hanged, who were told there's a, there's a segregated school for you and you better not even play baseball with us. And they said, OK, we're going to redo generations of, of prejudice by showing people there's no difference. 
not by protesting, not by uh, inciting, by showing Tuskegee Historical Black Colleges and generations of misperceptions about races melted away. Not perfectly. Got it. We still needed the 1960s. Understood. But it's such an insult to the people that started us in 1776 and wins in 1783, and we write a constitution in 1789, and they said there was slavery was in America, and it was in every continent in the world, continent in the world. And gradually it dissipated, fought a civil war to get rid of it, and now in 2023 we're not perfect enough for you? Really? Do you know what we've been through, and can you compare us to another nation? And if you do, you don't have to stay. You can leave. Right. I think it's it's honestly part of the utopian dream. And the reason, in my opinion, is that people no longer believe that humans are born bad. You know, we are born with uh, I shouldn't say born bad. I should say we're, we're born with this selfishness in us. In other words, there are as many perfect nations as there are perfect people. There are no perfect Zero. people. The utopians believe that the only reason that people do bad things is because of uh, of society and systems and yada, yada, yada. So it's easy for them to look back on all those evil people that did all those evil things without realizing that, yeah, America's done a bunch of bad stuff. It is Far outweighed by the good stuff. So judge America mm. towards uh, towards other countries and, and the vast amount of history. So I think that that's part of a problem. And the truth is that's also part of our Christian heritage is understanding that we are all sinners. Nobody's perfect. We all make mm. mistakes. We all need to ask for forgiveness from God and from each other. Right. I don't know if you see that guy over there behind the glass. Eric is perfect. Eric, so yeah, besides Eric. I knew that. Right. Pete has a long way to go. <laughs> Eric is perfect. So, Eric, I'm sorry for him, for what John just said. Every no one's perfect because <laughs> you are. Um, last thing, correctable. Do you do you believe all this is correctable? Oh, Lord. I'll tell you what. Go to johnlcooper.com. Get the book. I do put a vision forward. At the end of the book, I believe going back to our shared values in America – and, you know, a lot of those are religious values. They're American values. They're things that, that we used to love. Look at the look at the race stuff going on now. We, we're, we've set ourselves back 30 or 40 years with the race thing that's happening now. I think it's correctable, but it is going to take a spine. Parents have got to do their jobs, start teaching their kids. Um, actually, I think parents got to educate themselves on the Constitution, how great this country is, and then pass it down to the next generation. School choice could help. I School don't like, I don't like what's going to – I'm going to move on unless you guys correct it. And sometimes competition seems to cure a lot of things in our society. Oh, yes, it does. Thomas Sowell's written I'm, about that so well. Competition is usually right. – the funny thing, what usually fixes a lot of this. Actually, a lot of what fixed uh, a lot of the old racism as well was competition in the end mm-hmm. because people look out for themselves. They look out for their own pocketbooks, and, and in the end, if, if competition is going to be there and it makes life better – like we just got the stuff back. I saw it on the news last night on Fox actually, the – um, the effects from COVID on schools, you know, the New York Times is two right. years late on it, but they finally went, oh, this was really bad for poor people. We all knew no this. Kidding. And when we were all saying it, they were saying that we were racist. Cancel and you. We didn't care. Cancel, Cancel us. Cancel John Cooper. We all knew it, you know. So in the end, competition right. is good. School choice is good. Right.
right. No one was bringing that up because Randy Weingarten was a big, uh, a big longtime friend of Joe Biden, president of the Teachers Union, and a big supporter of Joe Biden. And he made sure his supporters were taken care of at the expense of a generation of Americans. John Cooper, congratulations on Wimpy Week and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. At John Cooper is where to follow him. Congratulations, John. Thank you, brother. You got it. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I like to open up to questions. China relations broke off this past year partly because you called President Xi a dictator. Yeah, that's right. But your summit last week saw remarkable strides in mending that relationship. Would you like to completely undo your accomplishment by calling him a dictator again? I would. All right. <laughs> Next question, LA Times. Thank you, Mr. President, and congratulations on your historic and productive summit. I have a question. You're old. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, not sure how that's a question, but... So would SNL take shots? I mean, just that that's, as I mentioned earlier, that's mildly funny. It's kind of funny, humorous. I think it would be fine if it was uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden playful shots at uh, something that took place during the week, not avoiding the major story to drum up some Trump policy of uh, on immigration or some type of gag rule. And actually, on I'll let you hear it at different hours in this show. They went after him a little bit on on Weekend Update. I don't have a problem with that. That's the way it used to be. Al Gore was stiff, remember? Al Gore was uh, robotic, remember that? Do you, do you remember that Barack Obama was asleep in the first debate and they actually mocked him? Remember Hillary Clinton accused Barack Obama of getting uh, having an easy time with the press? And they made fun of the fact that the press was giving him an easy time? Those were the days when comedy was comedy. And late-night monologues were equal opportunity offenders. I think it would be healthy for the country. Start smiling again. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I'm so glad to be back in New York as much as I love Nashville, as much as I love um, as much as I love Chattanooga, Tennessee, as much as I uh, loved Madison, Alabama, and then, of course, instead of right after Madison, Montgomery, Alabama. I good to be back in New York. Was able to fly back. It was just great. Michael Goodwin's going to be on with us in a matter of moments, and uh, Nicole Ambrose, Maryland National uh, Committee woman, who really has a sense of what's going on. With uh, the Republican Party nationwide, I think the primaries are still very interesting, even though Trump's got a wide lead. We'll discuss that. Uh, I look forward to the debates and we'll see if Trump's going to take part. I doubt it, but a lot of endorsements being handed out. We'll see how much you think that'll help. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Xi Jinping doesn't care about the economy. He only, he only cares about the capacity to build out his hegemonic power. And so the, the likelihood that he becomes a friend of the United States of America is literally zero. 
Right. Uh, so don't fall for it, America. Mike Pompeo knows. Chinese President Xi and President Biden both were ready to put on a happy face in a newly power-washed San Francisco. But what was really accomplished? What should our policy be from here on out with our greatest and most powerful rival to date? Number two. Trump's the most likely one of us to lose. But the problem with that argument is, is that you have all this national polling coming out showing Trump beating Joe Biden, maybe by not as much as, say, Nikki Haley or others, but he's still winning. I mean, even NBC this morning he's, has him ahead. Right. NBC has him ahead. Fox has him ahead. CNN has him ahead. F- the New York Times has him ahead. After a while, people got to say well, he's ahead. 2024, unhappiness with the prospect of a Biden re-election campaign builds in all Democratic circles. And polls show Dems have a reason to feel sad as Trump picks up major endorsements. The governor of Texas, we're going to look at the new polls as surging Nikki Haley. And why Ron DeSantis is collecting a lot of Tim Scott's endorsements. Number one. We are hopeful that we can get uh, a significant number of uh, hostages freed in the coming days. The less uh, we go into the details, the better the chances of such a deal. I hear you. Whatever it takes, uh, Michael Herzog, president of Israel. Israel's at war as we wait for the hostage in- or release. Release could happen within our show. But for those people who doubted that the hospital is actually a Hamas headquarters, look at the video. They got tunnel video. You see a hostage being brought and recognized, by the way, being brought into the hospital by the closed caption video that they had there. You also see a wounded one being brought to a hospital. Then you see the tunnels, the steel doors. You see the AK-47s. You see the weaponry. But still, I'm watching reports saying, well, allegedly, perhaps it may be. We don't know what that what else was in that tunnel. Okay. You want to be a skeptic, you want to be a skeptic, you want to be journalistic journalistically sound. I understand. But I sense you want to do whatever you can to make Hamas and Palestinians cause seem to be the sympathetic one. Michael Goodwin with us now. Michael Goodwin, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. And I completely agree with you on that last point. Uh, Reading the New York Times, you've got now this kind of equal skepticism of what Israel claims and what Hamas claims, as though these two are the same and they should be treated the same. I mean, that's that's not journalism. That's like being some kind of an auditor uh, for the, for somebody's books. I mean, that's not the way to approach this story, it seems to me. I don't think so at all. And by, by the way, they realize we have to win, even though we think there's civilized and uncivilized, there's right and there's wrong. Israel attacked on October 7th, the most brutal fashion imaginable. You would think that a re, a, a reprisals were given, but but instead, let's cut it out. Let's have a ceasefire. Let's have a pause. It's been too brutal. It's too haphazard. You're not looking at your targets. Why are you targeting hospitals, mosques, and children's centers? I don't know, because there's tunnels underneath them. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted, it seemed as though, that uh, Israel was indiscriminately bombing people when they're not. Here's what Mike Pompeo uh, said about who's caused this whole thing. And it is Iran. Cut five. This administration has always had a soft spot for the Islamic Republic of Iran. We saw it in President Obama when they signed the JCPOA. We've now seen it while they've launched dozens and dozens of attacks against Americans. We've done almost nothing. Uh, this, the, I'm not so sure that these views that are held by this woman and uh, who were held by Robert Malley, who was the special envoy for Iran, who's had his security clearance suspended, that, that frankly... It's not so much that they're outliers in this administration, Shannon. It is that they are deep. Their policies are deeply consistent with what President Biden has been trying to do. Uh, I'm very worried about what the Islamic Republic of Iran is doing, not only 
today in supporting Hamas and the Houthis and Hezbollah in Lebanon, but what they may be doing at our southern border, bringing folks into our country and presenting real risk here in the homeland as well. While they're going at, we're using militia proxies to bomb our troops uh, over 60 times. We've answered four times. Iran is the planter's wart in all this. You pull it out, a lot of problems get solved. That's a good analogy. Uh, look, I think Mike Pompeo is right that uh, it, it's this is who Iran is. It's who Iran has been since 1979. And we keep trying to close our eyes to the reality of it because it's inconvenient. We would like it to be otherwise. But it's our delusion, not theirs. They don't, they don't pretend to be somebody they're not. They are constantly doing what they're doing. They use every time we give them a break and they get money out of it, they use that money to do the very things we don't want them to do. So why do we keep repeating this process? I mean, we've you had it with roughly eight years of Obama, and now you have it with four, three years of Biden. And nothing has changed with Iran. Its behavior is exactly the same as it was before Obama went down that road. I mean, it's it's incredible that our government refuses to take no for an answer. It's true. Let's uh, fast forward over to Joe Biden. He's 81 today. He does not want to talk about his age. He is trying to his, his strategy is to kid around about it. But the polls are overwhelming. He's trailing to Trump. He's uh, trailing with uh, young people where he used to dominate. He's trailing in almost every category on foreign policy. From 18 to 34-year-olds, he's got 20 percent approval. And now people that were saying, hey, you know what, Trump, uh, you know, Trump might be the best Republican when the primaries, but he can't win the general. This is the, the third or fourth straight poll in which he's beating Joe Biden. So can you still say that? Well, that's, Brian, that, that is a, uh, the right question, because early on, uh, that was the kind of fallback position of the DeSantis and the other opponents. I mean, they, their original idea was Trump's support is soft, uh, that he, he really has 20 to 25 percent of the Republican Party locked up, loyal. The others, whether it was 30, 40, 50 percent, when he sometimes hit that in the polls, they were all, they were all soft supporters. Well, here, you know, that proved to be false. And then the second line of argument was, well, he can't win a general election. Therefore, don't let him be the nominee. That was the Republican opponent's argument to the Republican voters. But now that seems to be uh, a dead letter of an argument because, as you say, all of these polls showing that he does defeat Biden, particularly in the swing states where where the game will be won or lost. And so I'm not sure what argument they can continue to make. Now, I still believe there's a possibility, although slimmer as each day goes by, that the, the resolution of some of these lawsuits, these cases against him, the criminal cases, will have an impact if he is in, uh, convicted. But 
we may not know that uh, before the nomination has run its course. I mean, there may be delays in some of these cases. The Georgia case is looking thinner and thinner. That's probably the first criminal case that will come up. Uh, and so the civil case in New York looks ridiculous over his business. So as these cases get exposed, it's only making him stronger. So the question of whether an actual conviction would change uh, the public's view of Trump, I think that looks less and less likely as we move through the calendar. I want to talk about your column. New York City Mayor Eric Adams will allow history to repeat itself if he goes through with the insane idea to slash the NYPD budget down to 29000 It looks like in an effort to balance our budget, if it's indeed possible, with all the illegal immigrants costing us billions, he wants to slash education, but most of all, police. Really? Is that his only choice? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's just a a dumb decision. I don't think it's a necessary decision. Um, And and I'm frankly very disappointed in Mayor Adams. Uh, He ran on the – he's a former cop, of course, and he ran on an anti-crime platform. That's why he was elected. That's – that was the – the, the reason that that was a thing that separated him from the other Democrats, and it made him uh, a good choice, I believed. But look, and to his credit, shootings have gone down, murders have gone down. I mean, I was looking at the statistics the other day. I think had the trajectory of murders, for example, stayed the same as it was when he took office, there would be about a hundred more dead people in New York City, murder victims. So he's had an impact on the most important crime. But the but the quality of life, the general sense of public safety is not getting better, Uh, whether it's subway violence, uh, uh, mental health people pushing people in front of subway trains or just slugging people on the streets. Uh, And then you add the migrants and the cost of the migrants. And there are other factors also at work here driving the budget. But it's just unsustainable but my, and Michael, if you walk down Penn, by cutting the cops it's is crazy just insane right and but the thing is a couple of things real quick i walked down times square the last few days it's uh, now i have an option penn station or or grand central so if i have to walk down times square it's packed but it's it's the illegal immigrant show this is all it's like the united nations they might be the best people or the worst people it doesn't matter no one's working you know, I'm just watching these people just walking around like tourists, but they live here, and we're paying for their meals, cleaning their sheets, giving them mini menus. You got to be kidding me. This well, is this is, and I don't blame necessarily him, except for the whole initial outstretched hand, and then he has been sounding the alarm. He has not gotten rid of the sanctuary cities, so now he has to sit there and deal with his own legal problems. And I'm just wondering, on some level. Because he became critical of President Biden, do you think that has anything to do with them suddenly investigating his campaign for his relations with Turkey? Um, I'm not convinced of that, Brian. It's, I wouldn't rule it out. I think we'd be foolish ever to trust the FBI just on their say. So the, the problem here is this issue of campaign contributions has been simmering for two years in the city's own enforcement agency, the Campaign Finance Board. And 
Adams refused to answer their questions. So I think he opened himself up to this, and maybe he has a good answer. But when the FBI takes your takes stops the mayor of New York City on a street and tells his security detail to step aside and confiscates the mayor's electronic devices, three of them, there must be something that they believe is there. Otherwise, I don't know how they get that kind of warrant. And, and also, this, because this involves the Turkish government and Turkish nationals, it could be that they have a FISA warrant. Uh, and they pick the mayor up on this. That's that's my bottom line guess. So whether this is uh, somehow related to his criticism of Joe Biden, I'm going to hold judgment off on that one. So I want you to hear what Cardi B said about his budget cuts. Cut 25. Cut 28. How is that a hundred hundred million dollar budget cut in New York City for for um schools, library, uh, police safety, and sanitation. Yeah, Joe Biden's talking about, like, yeah, we could fund two wars, $120 million budget cut on schools, libraries, police department, and sanitation. New York is already super dirty. Okay, that wasn't on prompter. Uh, so she, <laughs> you understand her anger, though. Yes, and she's right about all of the services that will be affected. I mean, they're going to pick up the trash less often. They're going to empty litter baskets less often. Oh, that's great. Uh, the libraries are being cut. Look, the school cuts, I think, are minimal. The schools are overfunded. And look, New York City's budget, as I wrote in the column, Brian, New York City's budget is now $110 billion. A decade ago, it was $49 billion. So it has exploded. And and this idea that every time there's a pinch of any kind, we have to cut the cops, we have to cut vital services. This, is, this has generally been a ploy to get, so, to get more money, to, to enable the city council to raise taxes or do something like that. I think this is just lazy budgeting. This is, this is a f- being fearful of the municipal unions. The mayor gave them all new contracts. He got almost zero concessions. So whatever he pays them is just a net cost to the city. As though there's no fat, there's no waste, there's no corruption anywhere in the budget. That's inconceivable. This is just not the way to go about it if you want to preserve services and preserve the city. This is, a, this is kind of a give-up signal. And it could be that, that Adams realizes he's in deep trouble and he's just sort of throwing everything at, at the window and not really uh, paying attention to these things. Things, obsessed, perhaps, right. by his own predicament. All right, maybe uh, paves the way for Curtis Lewa to become mayor of New York City. <laughs> we'll finally get some somebody to crack down on crime. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Uh, look him up, uh, M Goodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Insiders are concerned that President Biden's chances for re-election could be damaged by his unwavering support for Israel. But I think the bigger problem for Biden is that he is six years older than Israel. Pretty good line. Uh, That is good. Uh, But it's very odd uh, that everybody's on that same page. It's almost as if comedians, as well as commentators, as well as pundits go, okay. 
go for it. Do the best we can to push him. But for the first time, Joe Biden's got leverage. He doesn't need Barack Obama to endorse him. He doesn't need James Cl- Jim Clyburn to be back him. He will decide because he's got the machine of the White House behind him. And if he's got the machine of the White House behind him, it is his decision. But as the Wall Street Journal wrote, it is selfish to run again. Now, for me, if, I am a re- if I'm a Republican, I don't want to push too hard. I want this guy to run because he's your best opportunity to get the White House. I know that President Trump, I know in a, in a would-be a runoff with Gavin Newsom, beats Newsom by four. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know who's out there. I mean, as Carl Rove said on Fox & Friends a moment ago, right before this radio show, he said they have the potential to be formidable. I said, who's formidable? Because they have potential to be formidable. I'm talking about Pritzker. You're talking about Whitmer. You're talking about Shapiro. You're talking about Murphy. They have the potential to be formidable. Elizabeth Warren, but they're not. Klobuchar, they're not. I mean, we watched Klobuchar of Kohler Dad, an alcoholic in the snow, and said, I'm running for president. Blew up in her face. Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to get me a beer. Don't think that's going to work. Governor Whitmer, totally unlikable. She won on abortion. That was it. So good luck on the na- a national stage on that. There, there's, there is no JFK Jr. waiting in the way. There's no DeSantis. They don't have any successful governor that could run. Shapiro's the closest. He's got a two-year record of not screwing it up. I don't know. You tell me. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen, Ron DeSantis has an Iowa, Iowa or bus strategy. He got the endorsement of Kim Reynolds. That's great. I don't see it being enough to pull through. My eyes are on New Hampshire where Nikki Haley is moving up. And I think we should look at where the governor, uh, Governor Chris Sununu, ends up going. Does he end up backing a Nikki Haley? Because that could be enough to put her within striking distance. Well, that'll be interesting because she has got, I think, 16 points, but Trump is way ahead. Uh, we'll see. That was uh, that was the comms director over at uh, that was Elise Farah uh, Griffin on uh, State of the Union on CNN offering that advice. She used to be a Trumper. Now she couldn't be further from a Trumper. Nicole Ambrose joins us now, Maryland National Committee woman. Uh, uh, Nicole, great to see you. Great to be here. Brian. You, your thoughts about the power of Sununu in New Hampshire, being that uh, it looks like DeSantis is all in on Iowa, fourth in New Hampshire. Is is for her, is that her Waterloo, New Hampshire? Because knowing that South Carolina is next? Right. So great question, but I think Nikki Haley is starting to actually concern some people. And people who were supporting her. And yes, she's doing well in some ways. But if you look at the difference between her performance in that first debate, where she did very well, made some excellent right. points. And then as far as I'm concerned, really fell in the third debate. What in what way? Here's the way. Uh first debate. She talked about a key issue that Republicans have been really struggling with, right, the abortion issue. And in the first debate, she was spot on. She said Republicans must put Democrats on record for where they stand. When is too late to have an abortion? Is it 38 weeks? Is it 39? Is it 40? When is enough? Define yourselves. And when you push Democrats on that, that is where they fall in the mud, right, because they are pushing for a late-term abortion, which – 71% of Americans oppose. And then in this last debate, I'm sorry, she's going to lose a lot of the Republican debate. She she basically said, don't judge me for being pro-life and I won't judge you for being pro-choice. And, you know, no one's judging anyone. 
the Republican base really struggles with that because if you are pro-life, you say that is murder. So to say don't judge me and I don't care what you do, that's going to be a hard pill for the Republican base to swallow. So yesterday, here's uh, President Trump getting a big endorsement, cut eight, from Greg Abbott. I'm here today to officially proclaim my endorsement for Donald J. Trump to be president of the United States of America again. Thank you very much. It's a a tremendous honor to get that endorsement in particular because he really stepped up. He stepped up to the plate. He's doing the job of what the federal government is supposed to be doing. And I'm just telling you, Mr. Governor, I am going to make your job much easier. You'll be able to focus on other things in Texas. We love Texas. And uh, what they've done is very unfair. They've given the job of The job to you, it's a job of security for our country. It's a job of stopping an invasion because it's an invasion. And you've done a great job. And thank you very much for the endorsement, Greg. I appreciate it very much. You know, one thing about Trump, he asked for endorsements. He has no problem. You know how they say he asked for the sale? He goes up to and says he asked for it. Does this mean a lot? Art of the deal. Hello. He's amazing at it. I mean, you look at Florida alone where basically nearly all of the Republican congressmen endorsed Trump early on. And – Their own governor apparently isn't even in direct communication with him. But you look at Texas, and it's just a great example of why um, Trump is very well positioned going into 2024, because you've got 69 percent of people saying the border is incredibly important. We're nearly avoiding World War Three at this point between Israel, between that show in San Francisco last week with President Xi. I mean, Americans are looking at all of these factors saying we are so much less safe than mm-hmm. we were under P- Trump's presidency. So uh, the Wall Street warms up to Nikki Haley. Evidently, she's impressing people like Jamie Dimon. Yep. DeSantis, uh, can he make a comeback? People list that he, ha- he earned $2 million from Florida fundraisers in just two days. And he did get the endorsement of, I think, uh, they say DeSantis says he's going to be picking up a lot of Tim Scott's endorsements. And I forgot the number there. I think it is somewhere about 10. DeSantis picks up 10 South Carolina endorsements. So how much does that matter as we look at New Hampshire? New Hampshire is Trump 46, Haley 18, Christie 11, Vivek 8, DeSantis 7, and others 6. So it's it's can this help in Iowa? So – no one who's won Iowa has gone on to win the presidency in some time, right? So I I love that we fight for every single state. And if you're an Iowan, how awesome is that? That you have all these presidents. It can candidates. kill you if you don't do good in Iowa. It can kill you in from New Hampshire. It right? sure can. But how? What do we have a president Mike Huckabee? Right. And fact of the matter is, whether you look at Romney's race way back when. If you get 25% of the vote, you can win the primary. Trump is over double that, right? Mm-hmm. And his main issue with the Republican base was, can he win? Can he beat Biden? And now, even over the past few days, NBC has been flipping out that their poll, for the first time in the history of the poll, shows Trump winning, beating Biden by two points. So I want you to hear what Scott Jennings on CNN said. He's a former McConnell advisor, cut 14. Obviously, he's making a strategic argument, which is Trump's the most likely one of us to lose. But the problem with that argument is, is that you have all this national polling coming out showing Trump beating Joe Biden, maybe by not as much as, say, Nikki Haley or others, but but he's still winning. I mean, even NBC this morning he's, has him ahead. And so that strategic argument to me, whether you're DeSantis or Haley or anyone else, I think the steam has come out of that. Um, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that to you. So Scott's a smart guy, knew, knew him from the Bush White House. Um 
their whole, I think right now, Haley and DeSantis are vying for second place. Normally second place would get you the veep. That's not going to happen here, right? Because there's too much Going of a personality conflict, right? Yeah. Well, not with Haley either. Yeah. They, because when she stepped down from UN ambassador, she started going after Trump. Right. While he was still in office. You really think so? Yes. Oh, yes. And that's my impression. So yeah. I just don't think there's too much personal animosity. So second place in the polls is not going to get them veep. So their goal here, if they don't think they're going to get the top nod, is going to have to be to position themselves for the future. So we were talking to Nicolie Ambrose, Maryland's National uh, Committee uh, woman. So she's not going to be jumping on a candidate right now because you have other jobs. But I want to talk about what's going on with the president. David Axelrod came out and said this. I think it's 50-50 shot here, but no better than that, maybe a little worse. He thinks he can... He thinks he can uh, cheat nature here, and it's really risky. They've got a problem if they're counting on Trump to win it for them. I remember Hillary was doing that, too. And by the way, Trump was trailing Hillary by a lot yes. in the summer before. Yes. And no one really – everyone thought – in fact, I've had predictions here. Well, in the end, Trump will be somebody just filling out the string with his family and his son-in-law. And he'll have no staff around him, and he ended up winning. And then they spent four years saying, telling everyone he's illegitimate. Right. And Russia collusion and everything else. And all of this stuff has been proven to be untrue. So here's the thing. If, can I just say if Trump wins this time, he's figured out how the federal government works. And he got so much done in his first four years without really knowing all the pitfalls of the bureaucracy, having heard about the swamp, identifying the swamp. But it it having worked inside of the monster before it is a beast. Um, but it's actually kind of exciting with what he got done on his own with mm-hmm. some great top staff, but what could be done now that he understands the nature of the beast. Big story in the New York Times today talking about all his former staffers who have come out against him and how frustrated they are that it's not affected him, from John Kelly to John Bolton uh, to Liz Cheney, not staffers, but people he worked with. Right. And they said, we don't understand why it's not working. I told you the story how he mocked a soldier, didn't want an injured soldier, representing him on Veterans Day and things of that nature. How do you... How do you get your head around that? So there is a part of Trump that's like Teflon, right, especially with his base. If you look at the polling numbers, too, the Republican base is way more loyal to Donald Trump than Joe Biden's base is to Joe Biden. So you have Republicans who will vote for Trump no matter what. Right. Um, at the same hand, when you now have nearly two full terms of two different men to evaluate in the past eight years – Everyone agrees they like Trump's policies over Joe Biden. And then you have the roosters coming home. I mean, look at New York City. Look at the migrants. You know, Eric Adams is cutting New York City city funding because everything they've asked for, they've gotten. Right. These sanctuary cities coming to these deep blue cities. So I'm actually really fascinated to see how 24 works out in terms of if there's actually movement on the needle in some of these once deep, deep blue jurisdictions, right. if you see any movement. Uh, well, I saw a poll that said Trump was within nine in New York City. You know how well Zeldin did in New York City. Yes. You know how they flipped a bunch of seats in New York City. And you know also, and this is unscientific, uh, but on that UFC event at MSG, you see a shot of President Trump leak cutting into Madison Square Garden, right, in midtown Manhattan, right. a place evidently they're suing him because he got wealthy and they're too, and they're unhappy about it. A place that they say he's not he's not popular and all these things. 
And I, they said it was like people that were next to him said it was just an eruption that lasted from the minute he stepped in, like one of the fighters. I and how is that? In it? Now, you could say, well, these people came from the outside. Not really. Right. What do you mean they came from the outside? Yeah, it's a central location. You can come from Philadelphia. It's Penn Station's underneath it. But that's mostly New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, it's Trump has done always, right? We have people who have hero worshipped him since he was in Home Alone and, right. you know, doing The Apprentice. The people who just kind of hero worshipped him. And he does have that star quality. I mean, I think his trick, if I may, his trick is going to have to be peeling a little more to the one demographic group I think he's had the most difficulty with, which is... Suburban women. Exactly. And how's that going to help with abortion? Does that bother the, the suburban women? Does that rank up there? I know guns is also up there. Tone is also up there. I think actually tone is almost as big of an issue as abortion. I think a lot of women probably think Trump sounds a little more moderate on abortion than some of the right. other Republican leaders are hearing talk about it. But I think tone is actually his biggest problem because you have all of these women who would take their morning group women power walks. Just their only thing they know how to do is complain about Donald Trump. And so how can can the misery at the pump, the concern of World War Three, you know, the school border choice, disaster, education, schools, everything going wrong in this country that the Democrats have championed for years and finally gotten every bad thing they have asked for. Can that conquer their dislike of his tone? Right. So we have Iowa in eight weeks or six, seven weeks. January. Yeah, geez. January. So here we go. And then we're going to have New Hampshire set up a date right after. And then you'll see South Carolina or Nevada. Do you know? I think one one right after the other, and then you'll have Super Tuesday. But when abortion's on the ballot, it changes things. It changes things again in Ohio. You have concerns about abortion being on the ballot in Nevada. Yeah. So And in Arizona. Exactly. So they're looking to put abortion on the ballot in Arizona. And how does that affect a candidate? It affects a candidate with turnout. Like what you would just have to worry about and plan for is all of these folks who might not care that much to vote. If they are convinced and the left has been doing a better job messaging this than the right. Mm -hmm. Right. And the right really needs to pick it up here. Right? There is no doubt about it. So we're looking at it being on the ballot in Arizona. We're also looking at it being on the ballot in both 2024 and 2026 in Nevada, according well, to the way they're Well, there's no works. life after 2024. I'm only thinking about right? 2024. Right? I hear you. I hear you. All right. Uh, Nicolae Ambrose, thanks so much. Maryland's National Committee uh, woman. Appreciate it. It's going to be exciting. Always great to be here. Buddy. All right. Uh, back in a moment. one 866 Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. As the leader of the free world, T.R. wasted little time aligning himself with this fellow self-made man. He was made the special advisor to the president on Negro affairs, and he helped the president and other states to create other HBCUs around the country. They were all the product of this kind of help or attention that Booker T drew to the president. In addition to helping raise funds for other HBCUs, such as Grambling State University, Washington advised Roosevelt on some groundbreaking federal appointments. This included Minnie Cox, the first African-American female postmaster. This faced fierce opposition from critics. 
but Teddy refused to kneel to their bigotry. So that's just a little of the special that's eventually going to air in Fox News. It's right now on Fox Nation about my book, Teddy and Booker T. Shot it for about a year so you get a sense of what the book is about before you read it, which I always loved personally as a reader. You get an idea or or a jumping off point because a lot of people knew almost nothing about Booker T. They thought they knew Teddy Roosevelt, did not know this side of him. And uh, special thanks to everyone in Madison, Alabama, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Nashville, Tennessee at the Patriot Awards. And then yesterday in Montgomery, and I'm going to be uh, on Long Island the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So this is this Saturday. Um, I can't believe it's actually here already. But this Saturday, I will be there. Let me give you an idea what, where else I'm going to be uh, because I want to give myself an idea. Okay, 4 o'clock in Bayshore, November 25th. On the 29th, the Little Point Bookshop in Pleasant Beach, New Jersey. And then you uh, go over to December 1st, Eureka. What did I say? It, it's Point Pleasant? Oh, we got to change it then because on the website it says Pleasant Beach. All right, so I got to fix that. Uh, uh, Point Pleasant. And then I'll be in Dallas, Texas, December 2nd at the Bush Library. So go down there and meet me. And then Verhope, Alabama, arguably my most favorite, st- one of my favorite stops ever at the Page and Palette. Uh, I hope to see the whole the whole town came out last time, and what a great town! I wanted to li- I wanted to stay there. Dayton, Ohio, WHIO listeners, hope to see you in person. And then, of course, Lexington, Kentucky, December ninth, the next day, December tenth in Charlotte, North Carolina. Who agreed to all this? Uh, and then Doylestown, Pennsylvania, on the thirteenth. Then we're going to do the live shows where I talk about all the books on stage and possibly the most fun I'll ever have. Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall. Uh, tickets are available now. And then you get a book with every ticket. Same thing with Holland, Michigan. A book with every ticket, Holland Civic Center Place. And then over December 17th in Wichita, Kansas. And that'll finish out the year. Still got a lot to go. So opportunity to meet you guys in person uh, will be great. Uh, talking about today, we're going to find out at one point if the President of the United States will pardon that turkey. We're also going to find out if the Christmas tree is going to be delivered. But most importantly, we're going to find out if we get a hostage release at some point today, which will be key to get out some of the 244 hostages, some of which are no longer in the possession of Hamas. Here's Michael Herzog, the Israeli ambassador to the United States, cut for. We are hopeful that we can get uh, a significant significant number of uh, hostages freed in the coming days. I don't want to go into the details of uh, these talks. They are obviously very sensitive. The less uh, we go into the details, the better the chances of such a deal. But they are very serious efforts, and I'm hopeful that um, we can have a deal in the coming days. That would be big. And so far we have massive walks of the hostage families across the country. They feel as though the prime minister hasn't done enough. It's a tough situation. Because if you stop the war for the hostages, that'll show we'll take more hostages. What the best thing would be doing would be to rescue. Rescue the hostages at zero cost. Find out where they all are. Get the additional intelligence and go after them. But if you look at their battle plan as it was written up and has been unmasked, they never expected to get this many. And they basically also have an obligation to keep them alive the ones because they want to use them as bargaining chips. But we have found a couple of bodies that have been identified 
as hostages. And, of course, there's at least nine Americans there. Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you keep it here uh, all the time. And you can always listen on the podcast from BrianKilmeadeShow.com if you can't listen live. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Final hour on this Monday after what we think it was a great weekend, by all accounts. But definitely a lot going on. Fresh off the Patriot Awards. Back in action today. Thanks to everyone in Alabama and Tennessee that came out for Teddy and Booker T. Tom Kirsting at the bottom of the hour, a family therapist and the author of Disconnected, Raising Healthy Teenagers. That's the goal of most people. And right now it's not the case. Did you see the study over the weekend? They basically said it turns out the kids have such a learning deficit, it might take generations to get over it because of the shutdown over COVID. I don't know who said that. How about everyone I know on this station for the last two years, many of which were canceled? In a matter of moments, Charlie Hurd will be with us. But first, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Xi Jinping doesn't care about the economy. He only, he only cares about the capacity to build out his hegemonic power. And so the, the likelihood that he becomes a friend of the United States of America is literally zero. All right. Chinese President Xi and President Biden both were ready to put on a happy face after the power wash San Francisco was able to be, a, I guess, a good enough host city for them. And by the way, have you ever seen more Chinese flags in your life? What should our policy be from here on out after against our greatest, most powerful rival in our history? Number two. Trump's the most likely one of us to lose. But the problem with that argument is, is that you have all this national polling coming out showing Trump beating Joe Biden, maybe by not as much as, say, Nikki Haley or others. But he's still winning. I mean, even NBC this morning he's, that has him ahead. That's uh, Mitch McConnell's former assistant, Scott Jennings, 2024 unhappiness with the prospect of Biden's reelection campaign builds in all Democratic circles. And polls show Dems have reason to feel sad as Trump picks up major endorsements and a big surge in the polls. While Nikki Haley is emerging as his chief rival, although Ron DeSantis just picked up two million bucks over the weekend. Number one. We are hopeful that we can get uh, a significant number of uh, hostages freed in the coming days. The less uh, we go into the details, the better the chances of such a deal. We hope to have the hostage release story somewhere within this show. It will be accompanied by a pause in the fighting and maybe another Palestinian release of prisoners. We will see. We'll look at the war, where it's heading, and the headwinds facing it here in the U.S. and around the world. Charlie Hurt, welcome. Fox News contributor, Washington Times uh, guy. I appreciate you being here. It's always good to see you. So your thoughts about the latest poll and what it says. I was shocked, number one, what bothers me as an American, only 20% of the 18 to 34s support Israel in this war against Hamas. That's the most disturbing as an American, yeah. but the most enlightened, the most learned moment for me was 18 to 34s. Trump has an advantage, young people, over Joe Biden. That stuns me. Yeah, how crazy is that? Um, and that was supposed to, that's usually 
uh, Democrat stronghold. That's, you know, where Joe Biden has put so much effort into buying off those votes. And apparently everything <laughs> with everything else going on, uh, it's not uh, it's not helping him. But and of course, I, I and I agree with you that the those numbers on Israel support are, you know, it's stunning, but it also underscores the real problem Democrats have within their party. This is this is the end game of identity politics, and this is what you get when you play with identity politics for decades, and and you do it very effectively. That what you wind up with is a situation like this, and you have you know Israelis, uh, you know Israel supporters and Palestinian supporters fighting in the streets. How about Senator Schumer, uh, Congressman Goldman? Senator Blumenthal, all seeing eye with, drum roll please, Republicans wondering what's going on with their party and then wondering politically, how did we get here? You know, I, I get a little tired of that because, you know, it, this isn't new. Schumer has known that there, there was this problem within his party for a long time, and he's never had the courage to do something about it. And uh, whether it is, you know, and Nancy Pelosi, too, you know, Nancy Pelosi has this reputation of being such a uh, an iron, you know, ruling with such an iron fist. And, you know, I think that there is some, um, you know, there, there's some validity to that. But it, it, on the big stuff, she's not. She handed over the keys to the kingdom to the squad. And so then they're going to sit here now and act, act surprised that you have that they have this problem within their within their ranks. Oh, cry me a river. I, 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 I don't I don't I, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you should have detected this earlier. You should have done mm. something about it and, and taken a or stand up stance. now. Yeah. Or stand up now and just say, listen, I got to salute my Republican colleagues. Yeah. Even now, they're stand, not really standing. Yeah, I don't hear and, much from Schumer at all. Yeah. And, and even Joe Biden, you know, he's obviously. Um, making the big picture right decisions about a lot of the stuff in, with regards to Hamas and Israel. But he speaks mealy-mouthed. It sounds like he's he's always placating. Shouting always, something wrong yeah. to the press who are shouting at him because they can't get close to him. And equivocating between Hamas and Israel. And there is there is absolutely no equivocation between Hamas terrorists and a free country defending itself. So right now, President Biden's job approval, according to the NBC poll, 77 percent among Democrats, which, by the way, is too low for him. He's got to get into the 90s with that. Uh, disapproval at 21 percent. Republicans, 7 percent approval. But uh, that's incredible. But the independent is the body blow. And that's 30 percent approval among independents. All that playing into David Axelrod, The Wall Street Journal, Maureen down The New York Times, pointing to, Joe, you're too old. The Wall Street Journal said, you're being selfish. Yeah, and, and if you think that he's having trouble at age 81, do you think he's going to be a lot better at 82 no. or at 86? I don't think that this goes in the right direction for Joe Biden. I think that it only uh, goes worse. And then, and then of course, you know, if you look on the other side of things, um, the other side of the ledger, you look at Donald Trump, um, you know, they have emptied the tank on this guy. And if he winds up being the Republican nominee – I don't know how it gets worse for Donald Trump. They have exhausted everything on him. And he still has a... Has were, a and I was just saying to myself, I'm watching two weeks ago on The View, they called him a Nazi, and then they called him a Nazi over the weekend. I'm like, wait, guys, you have a year to call him a Nazi. Shouldn't you build up to something? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean who, who made this game plan? If you're out the door with Hitler, then right. it's like, you're where do you the, go from are there? Are you kidding? What did he do? Hitler, I mean, Hitler and Satan. So He'll be he, Satan by the time. So it's who is still supporting him? Obviously, Senator uh, <laughs> Senator Coons, who he replaced him in the Senate, and Senator Richard Blumenthal, cut eleven. 
I think he is the best candidate for 2024. I have confidence that he will overcome those poll numbers. We're a year away. But remember, even more important than the polls are what voters are doing. In the most recent elections in Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they showed that they prefer the Biden record of accomplishment over the mega extremism. It's fantasy. I mean, they're committed to a fantasy. And but the abortion is a leveler, don't you think? Um, in, I some, think it, in some cities. If they're going to okay. do Nevada and Arizona, that could be okay. trouble. Okay. No, uh, agreed. The, uh, abortion is the biggest Achilles heel for Republicans. But step back and look at the big picture. If you look at the Democrat position on abortion and the Republican position, you know, broadly speaking, on abortion, 80 percent of Americans are in line with Republicans. Maybe 10 percent are in line with abortion up to the ninth month. Republicans haven't figured out how to make that argument because they're afraid of talking about it and they don't want to engage the issue. And uh, and that that is a real problem. But and, and, and to me, that's my frustration with the Virginia elections. Virginia was a great opportunity for Republicans to really refine that issue and refine how to talk about that issue because yeah. it's really difficult. So why what did happen in Virginia? You live there. Yeah, I think that um, I think that. Uh, so I think what ha- basically happened was Republicans retreated very early on on that issue. They didn't think it was going to be that bad. And Democrats figured out that they could talk about this ban. They used the word ban, which is a lie, but they talked about the ban and they realized that was very effective. And so they went after Republicans on it and Republicans allow, basically allow Democrats to define that issue See, I thought, all the I way thought through. the governor was pretty clear. So, Youngkin was clear. So Governor Youngkin was fantastic about it when he started talking about it. But when he started talking about it, his ad came out, what, two weeks after early voting started. And at that point, mm-hmm. it's too late. You have to – you have to define these issues early, and you have to. You can't right. sleep. The enemy never sleeps. You can't sleep, and and I think that they got maybe a little bit complacent. They didn't do as badly as it would appear on paper, uh, but you still, you, you know, you have to. Republicans have to overperform in every election. Okay, uh, I want to bring you to the most interesting part about this election, arguably, and that is the other parties. So the no labels, probably the most organized. RFK Jr will be a factor, independent. And then you have Jill Stein, 1% or 2%, Cornell West, 1% or 2%. When every state's decided by 10, 20,000, yeah. don't you think it could matter? Here's Joe Manchin yesterday on Meet the Press, Cut 12. Do you think President Biden and Vice President Harris are the strongest ticket to represent the Democratic Party in 2024? Not in the centrist part, no, I don't. And they know how I feel. This is not a, I do not believe that they are basically where Joe Biden has come from and just go back to the campaign. He's been here for long. He understands the system. And I think he's a good man. And we have good conversations. We just disagree. You're going too far left. I can't go there. And, and to some, he's not left enough. I mean, the green, the green people are showing up at his speeches yelling at Joe Biden. Do you believe this? Yeah. And the squad so has turned on Joe Biden, who John, all he did is try to placate him the entire time, gave him so much respect, brought Jay Apollo into the White House. So 
What do you think about what is Manchin doing? Right. Do you think he's going to run? Right. First of all, I agree with you that that those little one and two point uh, things can make a huge difference in in the election. But big picture, I think that you know the idea that no labels is going to go with like bozo politician from Central Casting who couldn't run for re-election because he was going to get his tail in West whipped Virginia. in West Virginia by Donald you Trump. Look at, is that how you really feel about Manchin? Um, yeah. What do you mean? What, what part of that? The fact that he that the reason he's not running is because he would lose. That's right. absolutely why. No, he's you not think running. he's a bozo? Oh or, 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 uh, yeah, I think he's kind of ridiculous. I think he's he's sold out West Virginians by um, you know he, he he did not stand up to his own party on the the important issues like this crazy environmental stuff. Well, he did do the he filibuster. Did. He did stop the state's expansion, right? He but he did stop what, the throwing out the electoral what, what, college. What, but what? what, what uh, and I appreciate that. And that's but, nutty but, stuff. Okay. But no, it is very nutty stuff. But the fact that that and I do and and you're right. I I do. I very much appreciate that stuff. But I'm also like, okay, didn't go so the rest of the you, way. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm sorry. So you didn't like the match. It's like I don't. I, I'm not. I, but 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 just to finish the larger big picture point. Um, I, any anybody you bring out like this who into the general election helps Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump, the reason people like Donald, you know, newsflash, people don't like Donald Trump because he's nice. They don't like him because he's, um, you know, mannerly and orderly and and like, a, you know, a, a normal politician. They like him because he's, you know, blowing the place up and they want to blow the place up. And every one of these people, we need a calm, rational no labels candidate. It's like that just takes people away from whoever else is out there. Well, almost. I think the thing this with with Trump is the court cases. Some of them are so over the top. Like this, this yeah. civil trial. I don't know. I watch the other channels, Charlie. Nobody is saying that there's something there. Right. They all know it's ridiculous without actually saying they have their legal experts on. Right. And then we're seeing the Jack Smith thing. You just wait until this stuff comes out about Biden yeah. and Robert Hur yeah. and these documents. They evidently, they're going to excoriate Biden, but but also exonerate Biden. And also, and that's going to fuel it too. The double standard is going to help yeah. Trump. And also, absolutely. But also, look at where these court cases are playing out. They're playing out in places like Atlanta, New York City, Washington D.C. These are all like failed prosecutors from. Pretty corrupt places that nobody wants to live, and this is what they're focused on. They're yeah. focused on this instead of the and and Letitia whether you James like sitting in the courtroom all day, yeah. And whether you like Donald Trump or not, he talks about solving problems. He runs like a mayor, and that's why sometimes that's he a good makes, analogy. He, yeah, he, he, he makes like constitutionalists a little nervous because he's like, "I'm going to fix this," and I'm gonna, and he says things that he's going to fix that aren't really in his purview. Um, and it makes a lot of conservatives sort of nervous, but some of it is just him talking, but he talks in terms of solving problems. And when you have that versus the cur- – and, and, you know, and it plays you – know, Joe Biden turns 81 today. Mm-hmm. Um, his greatest uh, you know, selling point has always been his experience. But when the experience gets you um, two new wars – Disaster in Afghanistan, the rise of Hamas, all of these problems, open border. If that's what experience gets you, then people are like, well, you know what? Actually, maybe we'll go with a, a less experience. What I, what I think sometimes is you couldn't do worse if you tried. I mean, right. look at, I mean, it's almost as if he's trying to destroy the country. Yeah. And all he talks about is spending when instead of talking about Who? the interest rate on the spending we already have. Who walks into – and this is not just Joe Biden. This is a Barack Obama thing. 
Who walks, evaluates the Middle East and says, you know who we want to have control over this? Iran. Who does that? Yeah, yeah. It it blows my mind. Again. And yeah. and then and 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 you know everybody was talking about the you know after Hamas invaded uh uh Israel everybody talked about oh um the 6 billion dollars and then the administration was like oh the 6 billion dollars wasn't released yet according to you know some Qatari banker told them that they hadn't spent the money yet so it didn't you know whatever it doesn't matter whether that 6 billion that, that's just going to fund the next terrorist attack okay whatever this administration and the Obama administration did everything in their power to empower and enrich the Iranians. And now and, we got the Houthi and, rebels. We got uh, the militias uh, rocketing our troops. Yeah. We have Hamas emboldened and Hezbollah well armed yeah. and preparing to uh, fight at any moment. Yeah. Charlie Hurt, where can you see you again on TV? I don't know, but um, you know, if you're on radio, you can't see this. But um, Brian has played like a power move. His microphone stands up so he stands up he's lording over me right it's very intimidating lording and, verb by the way it is uh, right? i think it can be it's yeah. lower it's lowercase lording yeah uh but i'm feeling lorded over and very intimidated first um, time first time. yes yeah how, how so. do you feel at home do you feel intimidated think about that for a second back in a moment thanks joey it's brian kilmeade the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just fascinating what's going on in politics right now. We are waiting on any type of announcement when it comes to these uh, the hostage release today. We are expecting the president to pardon Turkey, which is obviously inconsequential. But it just he's got to show that he can still do the job. I can imagine that maybe over this weekend that he might have some people coming up to him with some leverage. And say, Joe, you have to step aside. For Republicans, I would not push it. Uh, I'm not saying don't pursue the impeachment uh, impeachment inquiry. I'm not saying that. You go ahead, go at that hard, and find out what's happening there. But I'm saying that let the Republicans decide how they're going to get rid of Joe Biden. Don't make it easy for them. And just focus on, I don't know, getting on the same page in the House. And don't let Chip Roy, as much as I like him, melt down and say, name me one thing that we accomplished. When Kevin McCarthy actually had an answer to that, and I'll play that in the next half hour. But next, we're going to be talking about your kids, talking about these kids that hurt so badly, so badly uh, through the pandemic. Also, there was easily manipulated with a letter from bin Laden from the grave that evidently won over people on TikTok to think that America is actually had got what is coming to them on 9-11. I can't believe it. I can't believe the anti-Semitism, and I cannot believe that bin Laden could pen something of any interest to any young person. You understand what this guy stood for and what your life would be like if he was in charge, especially women, gays, minorities, anybody? The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So I just read a letter to America. And I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never. I Please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment. Because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed 
Anna have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. So that was one of these idiot influencers on TikTok coming off The Guardian for some reason tried to decide to publish briefly a letter to America from the, the, the dead bin Laden. And it starts resonating on TikTok and being put out there. And you have a whole generation of young Americans who believe that bin Laden was actually right, that we were wrong to support, to support Israel, that we were wrong to go through Western culture of decadence. And I guess not be Muslim in the big picture. It is totally mind boggling what these kids could be thinking. If they understood what bin Laden stood for and Islamic extremism, what they did and how they treat women or gays or dare I say transgender, you think they're worried about the pronouns? Tom Kirsten might be the only person I know that might understand why kids are attracted to that letter and think bin Laden makes more sense than their parents, their schools and their country. He is the author of Raising Healthy Teenagers. Dr. Kirsten, welcome back. Hey, Brian, good to be with you. So when this story pops up, what were you thinking and what should I know? What am I missing? Yeah, you know, I saw that and I saw the whole letter and all that other stuff. And, and you know, and that influence to put that out there and you have all these young people supporting it. You know, it's the same thing I've been lecturing about for years, writing about, you know, the idea that our young people are living in this virtual reality. They're living in the cyber world, right? That's become their truth. It's become their reality. And as a result, they're not functioning very well in the real world here. Right. Uh, but they looked at it and said, yeah, it's not right that we're supporting Israel. It's not right that they're so mean to the Palestinians. You know, it's uh, it, maybe we did have what's coming to us because of our past uh, with bin Laden's words. Do they not take yeah. the time to go, who is bin Laden? And don't I know someone down my block who died on 9-11? Didn't I discover that in school? That uh, we've been at war for 20 years to eradicate the extremism that he represents? How does that not come up? Well, and that's the thing. It's like, where, where are they getting their information, right? They're not, they're not gathering their information from their own self, and in many cases, even from their parents or their grandparents who have been around and have wisdom. Their beliefs and realities are coming from, from TikTok, um, Instagram, and all these other platforms, right? And it's completely hijacked any, any level of thought. Any ability to be a thinker. So, I, I, you know, there was a great quote by a famous 19th century philosopher, and it goes like this. We are under the presumption that we are thinking, but in reality, we are being thought. And what he means by being thought is that in many cases, our thoughts are controlled for us instead of by us. And when I tell kids all the time, you know, and I'm at lecturing and stuff, I'm, I'm speaking to a group of you know, middle school or high schools. I tell them that if they did the following thing, what I'm about to tell you, every day uh, for, the ne- for the next six months, that I believe that the mental health epidemic would, would decrease by 90%. And that is sitting in silence, sitting in silence and getting to know what lies beneath. But kids don't do that. You know, they're distracted 24 hours a day. Their brains are being bombarded with information. We don't even, that's not even real or true half the time. And there's no repose. There's no sitting and exploring the being in the human, the human being, part, the being part of the human being, and, and allowing from within, you know, to extract all the resources that we have, which is our gratitude, uh, our life, our family, our, our skills, our qualities, and so forth. But they're not doing that because they're just live their being thought. And it's crazy because they just seem to be on the opposite side of every issue in this country. 
for example, okay, we're a terrible country, George Floyd, a terrible situation, so we have to be racist. Let's wreck the place. Uh, then you come up with this Palestinian cause. Within a day of, the, of October 7th, we find out that we have all these anti-Semitic Palestinian uh, sympathizers and who now are making it clear they also agree with Hamas. But do they really even understand enough to do this? We're not saying support your hometown team. We're saying we're, we're presenting this story that has not been front and center for 20 years since the Oslo mm-hmm. Accords. This used to be in the paper all the time during the Clinton years. It hasn't really been percolating around. So why do they all of a sudden feel passionate enough to storm out of their school, to spend their weekends taking over bridges and doing this? It's, a, it's like a collective consciousness, a follower mentality. I'm just going to do what everybody else does. I'm not going to think for myself. So I was driving my daughter to school. She's 17. She's a junior. A couple of weeks ago, you know, like I think a week after the October 7th incident. And she goes on to tell me that some a girl that she knows, okay, uh, just committed to go to an Ivy League college, right, for soccer. And I know the family, and they're Jewish. And I said to my daughter, I said, their parents are actually going to send her to one of these schools. I mean, that's really how I feel. That, that is how I feel. You're really going to do that? You know, when you see all these things taking place, all the hostility, the anti-Semitism taking place on these specific college campuses, and you're going to send your kid there? I'm not. And and you would actually do that. And you're at this point, Tom, where if I asked you 10 years ago, my kid got accepted to an Ivy League school, Penn, Dartmouth, Yale, Harvard. You would say, congratulations. You know, you're you're... You've already separated yourself from the masses. Now you'd say think twice. 100%. I mean, if it was my daughter, if my daughter got in, honest to God, Brian, if she was accepted to, first of all, she's not going to apply to any. Um, but if she, let's say she did and she was accepted, I, I wouldn't allow her to go to one of those schools. I don't want her to go, go to a place where, you know, where all of this, you know, um, indoctrination is getting getting into her head. I want to go. I wanted to go to a good quality school. Yeah, obviously, that teaches education, but also teaches values. It teaches even faith. You know, I'm a big fan. I'm a Catholic. I'm a fan of you know private Catholic colleges because there's something about it. You know, there's there's something still there. Not all of them, but but a lot of them still exist. Where they're teaching values, morals, principles. Those are the important guiding lights to any society. And you know, a lot, a lot of these, you know, highly, quote, elite schools, which I don't believe are really that elite anymore, between mm-hmm. me and you, um, aren't doing that. And, you know, the, we, you, you have a kid that starts there, you know, one way and leaves in a completely different progressive manner, which is just not healthy. So, you know, when this all happened and the anti-Semitism popped up, especially here in Columbia, New York and NYU, uh, you saw a lot of these CEOs come out and go, listen, yeah, don't any kid, I'm going to rescind their application. If I find out that they're protesting for the Palestinians against the Israelis days after a massacre, like we have not seen in modern times, you're not going to do it. And now I think that if you got out and it said Columbia on your resume and it said honor student, they might not make it public. They might not say, OK, you're from Columbia. That's it. That application, that resume is going to be passed along. Excuse me. Put it on the put it on not interested file. It, you know, it's so funny you said that because I just had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and that's what I really believe is is happening and is going to happen, and we, we've seen it happening. But at this point, you know, these, quote, elite institutions, right, what's going to happen when, when these kids graduate in a few years, right, and they apply for a job at some financial company or something like that? All I know is if, I, if I'm the CEO or the decision maker, you know, as a 51-year-old man, 
and I see that, I'm going to think twice about that. I'm going to say, wait, is A, is this person really smart, right? Did, did they get in there because they're smart or are there other variables that got them in there? And B, are they going to be a, a pain in the butt, thorn in my side, complainer when they start working for our organization and also feel, you know, entitled where they think they should be like, you know, the president of, of the company within two to three years with, that, with barely any experience? I mean, that's what we're seeing. Crazy. True. And now as you look at colleges, let's get rid of the SATs because they're biased. Now in New York, people might have their own version around the country, I'm not sure, but they have a regents exam. So if you're in physics or you're in math of uh, geometry, no matter where you are, the smallest town, the biggest city, you're going to take the same regents exam. And it's a way for colleges to know what this person can do it at the SUNY system or this person can do it if I get them in because they're an athlete or they can't do it because their grades might be good. They, they might have low threshold with grades. The teachers might be very generous. But when they all, we all take the standardized test, we know how we compare. So they're getting rid of the SATs. Uh, don't know why. ACTs. Don't know why. Get rid of the class rank. It might make people feel bad. I might be 200 in a class of 320. That might hurt my self-esteem. Get rid of class rank. And now get rid of the state reasons exam. What, what criteria are we looking at? What incentive is there to even study? Yeah, right. And what happened to meritocracy? And what about kids, you know, equity admits, right, that get into some elite school and they, they might not be smart enough to be there yeah. because they – they got a uh, 900 on the SAT, but they're there um, because they didn't have to submit scores. Now, what's, what happens to that kid? What if they can't handle you know, the curriculum in that university? Which, which, to your point right now, you're starting to see they're lowering the standards. And you can't lower the standards on, on important things like math, physics, right. engineering, medicine, and so forth. You can't do that. Um, without, without having a, a total collapse in the system. It just can't work. And I think fundamentally people should understand what this country set up for. They give you an opportunity to be successful, however you define it, but not yeah, outcomes, not outcomes. That's right. that's right. And that's what that's what, you know, Martin Luther King championed that. Right. Um, you know, e- e- uh, equality, you know, equal rights for everybody under the law. Everybody has the same rights. That's what equality mm-hmm. is. Equity is equal outcomes for everybody, regardless of merit or skill. So I, I listen to some parents say, well, it's really not fair because I could afford to send my kid to a tutor for the SATs and inner city kids can't. Well, let me tell you something. Number one, if that kid has to go get a Barron's book on their own, they are showing that they're going to have the drive to be overwhelmingly successful. Number two, they got YouTube. Uh, Tom, I know you're a valuable, valuable teacher and you, you work with valuable teachers in schools, but you could get a tutorial on almost anything today. How to put together a hot water heater. So you could go set yourself up in courses. And that struggle it takes to log on to Hulu or log on to YouTube and and check it out and maybe get some successes from people online. Go, Let me tell you how to succeed in the SATs my way. You you have the resources. You know, there's no computer the size of a room and you got to wait in line to sign up for it. And your school can't afford it. It's on your iPhone. Yeah, well, everybody, it's true. I mean, the, the resources are there. It's not like, oh, just rich people, you know, can go get private tutors. And furthermore, you know, when you hear that, that's actually nonsense. Because when you, when you talk, go talk to anybody that has done all of this, gotten tutors, studied their butts off, and let's say they got a, yeah. you know, a, a 1250 on the SAT. Now, Matt, they could study 24 hours a day. They're not going to get that score to a 1600. It's just not part of their, their no, skill set. No way. It's, yeah. not, it's like, you know, t- uh, ba- teaching somebody, like, go outside and shoot free throws in basketball, you know, for eight hours a day, even though you're not very athletic, and keep doing that, and you're going to become an NBA player. It's not going to happen. 
So Tom Kirsting's uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Tom Kirsting, he's a family therapist, uh, does a lot of extensive work with teens. He wrote a book about it, a couple of books about it. So there's a study that came out last week that shows, well, on average, a student's lost 35% uh, of learning that they normally would have had had they not been home during the pandemic. And we know how much extra time, and you've been on, how much extra time people were kept home for the six feet apart because some teachers were worried because some people wouldn't get vaccinated and other schools couldn't get the ventilation system. And the whole time we're saying, wait a second, there's a downside to not being in school. Well, don't worry about it. We got Zoom and yeah, kindergartner on Zoom. Sure, that's that's really going to work. And you see how hard a lot of most of these teachers, 99.9% had to work so hard and be so creative. Teachers conferences over the phone, uh, over uh, over Zoom classes every day where kids would just pop off and go to Dunkin Donuts and find a way to make them accountable. Well, on average, they lost 35% of learning. Number one, if that's if that's a parent's listening to me right now and they think their kid is at is in that category. What do they do to catch up? Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, just like anything else, the only thing that, that a kid, you know, any kid that has fallen that far behind, they got to they got to start, they got to put it in fifth gear, and just start studying more and more and more as hard as they possibly can to try to catch up. Do go for extra help. Do anything you can. Get a tutor, a free tutor. Go online. And furthermore, you know, in addition to the academic loss, major, major social and communication losses oh, yeah. and lack of particularly lack of gains and advancement for, for younger kids that are sort of stunted now, um, mm-hmm. you know, as social, emotional beings. Yeah, they got out of the routine and said, what, do I really need school? You know how many kids my daughter's age, she's now a junior, well, like, I, is college really necessary? I don't know. I don't want to go through it. And there's a different question there, but I got out of the routine of even going to school that I've been doing since kindergarten, since preschool, and they realized life went on. Don't they know enough? So now they're they're 20, 21 years old. They have no idea what they're doing. Not even the – some of them would have been great college students. But they yeah, got out yeah. of the routine. It's like at least acknowledge you screwed up. At least acknowledge but, yeah. and do, do it, lengthen the school year or something. Yeah, and you, know, and you look at you know the, the cost of somebody – I have a whole chapter in, in uh, my, my newer book, Raising Healthy Teenagers, about college and the cost and all that stuff. And you just look at the return on investment. I mean, somebody you – know, you're spending $80,000 a year to go to some you know, private school, and you're getting a degree that doesn't really even hold any kind of a job that's associated with that degree. Right. And now you're just, you're just you know, saddled with you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. That's going to com- continue to accumulate with interest, and and you're never going to be able to pay off, you know. And that's, we, the, and that's the other thing too. Like what, you know, this entitlement mentality. Like wh- why why is everybody entitled to go to like wh- if you can't afford something? I couldn't afford. I commuted to college to yeah. a local college. My parents had no money, right? And uh, and and I turned out just fine. And I went to the school. It was good. I got a good education. I made the most of myself. I paid my way through graduate school all on my own at a state school while I was working. You know, I didn't have this, oh, I got to go to, you know, some, I, I, you know, I'm entitled to go to, you know, Harvard or something like that. You can make the bet, regardless of where you go, it's what you do with where you're at, not with where you are at. There were two, that's the bottom line. Uh, there were two schools, believe it or not. When I went, the highest was like uh, Syracuse at 22,000. Ithaca was like 18,000. That would be like a, a, the cheapest school possible today. And I could not be, financial aid loans could not get there. So I went to a really good school. It was my third choice, uh, yep. but played soccer there, and it was. I had a great experience. Still have some great friends today. But I never said, "Woe is me! Too bad I can't go to my school. My friends have so much more money than I did." That was just reality. So what? The exact same thing that happened to me. The school I wanted to go to, my dad sat me down, and said I can't afford it. 
go to go to this school, the one I went to, St. Thomas Aquinas. I played baseball there. Yeah. It was like six thousand dollars a year, and I got a little bit of money, and we were able to afford that. But you know, and, it's, and, I, and I was fine with it. You know, I, I had a lot, tremendous amount of respect for my dad and everything he did for our family, my mom as well. And uh, you know, they they imparted on my 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 siblings and I the most important things in the world: faith, gotcha. hey, right, I, family. I, Exactly. Tom, I'm going to have to end it there, but it's always been great talking to you. I know our audience benefited. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, bro. Take Back care. in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Just to wrap up this hour, uh, Joe Biden's going to have some introspection to do over the next week, uh, decide if he's going to run or not, because saying if he does not run, and there's no indication he's not going to run. People around him want to run. For some reason, his wife wants him to run. His family wants him to run. I think part of the reason is, too, he can exonerate his son uh, because they are zeroing in on him and his family, no doubt about it. The other reason is he's just thinking to himself, I could beat Trump, beat him last time, the guy's got a bunch of indictments, probably behind the scenes. He was making sure it happened. I could take him. And the other story is just make sure you do your research on Israel. You understand that if there is a single civilian that loses their lives, they're not happy. Not one. No, nor are they ever targeted. But they have an obligation to their people to make sure that 790 civilians of theirs aren't killed and captured in raw blood. Uh, babies aren't cut out of the womb of their moms, and this attack never happens again, period. And the only way to do that is do what we did to Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Kill them all. And they have no courage. They hide in caves, and they hide behind people. They go to hospitals, they go to mosques, they go to children's centers. And now Israel's got to go south. Just don't be the one that forgets who's right and wrong. That's my advice. Make sure you watch me tonight. I'll be on with Brett Baer talking about Teddy and Booker T. And I guess whatever Brett has on his mind. But I'm sure it'll be most of the show just about the book. Listen to the all-new Brett Baer podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Baer favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.